So welcome to Deconstructing Health and Fitness with Chris Wilkins and Elizabeth Hefner. We're going to take a look at a lot of things going on in health and fitness today, and we're going to decide whether or not they're actually useful, whether they apply to you, or whether they're really taking you in the wrong direction. So over a decade of coaching, clients led me to believe that the only way for people to experience lasting change is for them to understand their habits and systems they have currently in place and move from there. I apply a scientific approach to that. We change a thing. We look at how it works. We decide if it's working or not, and then we change something else and we repeat. You can't just coach one aspect of health and fitness. You have to coach them all at once. Well, hello there, Elizabeth. Hi there, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds so enthusiastic about life right now. It's hard not to be enthusiastic because, man, 2021. I mean, so is... much excitement to be had. Yeah, so much joy and peace and time of joy and plenty oh wait no that's in my imagination I don't know I think it is like any of these things it's how you look at it right okay on a larger macro scale right now there's there's a lot of conflict (laughs) but that doesn't mean personally you can't have some joy you know that's true there's also a lot of conflict personally because it's like do I punch people or do I believe that everyone's doing the best they can with what they have? Oh, it's hard. It can be. I, def- I definitely feel some of that this week. Not from a like entire country point of view, but just personally, there are some there are some large demands on my time at the moment that I'm feeling slightly overwhelmed about. But you know, I think it's important to say things like that. Because people sometimes assume coaches are somehow superhuman. And I'm definitely not a superhuman. Like no matter what, no matter what, no matter what, I prioritize five miles of running every single morning. And then after that, at least an hour of lifting weight. And that's just what you have to do in your life to be great. Is that what you think? That's what you think most people think coaches are like? I think there's definitely a category of coaches who are like that. And I was one for a long time, I would say of like, how can people let things slide? You know, but I think it's important to remember that just because for you, you're managing these aspects of your life well right now, it doesn't mean you will always, and you can't foresee what's coming and you can't always like, you can't always get everything right. And I think that was one of the things I struggled with when I was much younger was I, I thought I for sure could get everything right. I thought people who said you couldn't get everything right just weren't trying hard enough. And that's obviously Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, like they're just lazy. But if you yeah. just try and work hard and you're tenacious as fuck, you'll make sure you can achieve every goal. Woo! You know, there's definitely some value to working hard and trying hard and all of that. But I think as soon as it slips over into the, like, I'm the exception, I'm not like everybody else mentality, mm. I can do this. I think that's a bit dangerous. I used to a, feel a that way. to fall from a great height. <laughs> <laughs> I really used to feel that way. Like, I can, like, I can do this because, like, just people don't try hard enough, like you said. And then I got older and I was like, oh, there's not, there's not so much joy to be had with that mentality because I used to think it just it just made me uh, try that much harder and hold myself to to a higher level so I would achieve more greatness. But then it ended up just causing a lot more not only anxiety but shame when yeah. I did not 
when I did not uh, reach that level of greatness. Well, yeah, and it's this idea that everything is ultimately ultimately within your control and therefore you can achieve this. And I think that's that's the danger. And the longer you're on the earth, I think the more opportunities you are given to realize that actually you really aren't in control of everything. You know, and I you know, very clearly in the world right now, there's some stuff I'm not in control of. And yeah, I'd love to say I'm in control of this new house being built, but I can honestly say that that's not working well from the control perspective. I feel like I should be in control of it. And then all sorts of things happen. So construction, I think, is a really great way to uh, reduce your perfectionism. Because anybody who's ever done a massive construction project <laughs> can attest to the fact that it never goes 100% to plan. I mean, I mean if somebody's got like... an example of that, I would love to hear about it because that would be inspiring to me because I've never had a construction project absolutely not go sideways or into another dimension entirely like this week has. Maybe so. if you, probably not, but maybe if you're like the only person constructing a tree house, like <laughs> in the wilderness or whatever and jungle and you're all like, well, I just have to use what's around me. Maybe. Maybe then it's just you and the elements and, you know, banana leaves or something. I don't know. Let's ask my sister who lives in Costa Rica. Or building. <laughs> well, I think you can do both. Like according to, so she went to UC Santa Cruz and the student oh, housing. The so, yeah, the banana slugs. <laughs> and the student housing, the dorm, you know, the dorms were so expensive. A lot of students were actually living in trees because, you know, it was some hippie college. It's a good college. It's a great university, but it's, you know, it's full of hippies. And they were, there were, there were, uh, there was a significant amount of people, I guess, who were living in self, in these like self-built tree houses be, to save money on, you know, the dorms. What? That's cool. Isn't that cool? Also dangerous <laughs> and cool also, at the same time. I, don't know. I mean, everything, I mean, one could say the media kind of tells us that anything cool, like, also has to be dangerous, which is messed up. <sighs> yeah. But I don't know. I think I'm old now, and I just think everything <laughs> sounds a bit dangerous. <laughs> I mean, well, literally now, like, leaving the house and walk, and someone walking by you is dangerous. Such mm. messed up times, y'all. Well, I think that's a really interesting new problem for us, isn't it? Well, it's not new, but it's like come back around to get us is that we've gotten so comfortable with our environment being super safe and being able to like have only a couple of children because we're sure they're going to survive. You know, that's not how it used to be. People had lots yeah. of children because you, you had to have 12 to children. Assume. Yeah, you had to assume we're gonna you were going to a couple along the way also you needed them to work the farm like what yeah. are you gonna do like they were mostly i mean they were also let's be real they were also kind of like you're creating your own labor force well yeah and you didn't have any <laughs> choice you know it's like <laughs> and nowadays people have to clean up after their kids instead of making the kids milk the dang cows and you know play with sharp instruments because that's what you do on a farm I just, not that we were just directly discussing this earlier this morning, but I had a client this morning, we were discussing this shifting paradigm of like what family life 
looks like now and how we all sort of have this mental picture of what family life looks like sort of held over from the 1960s and 50s of like, you know, one person goes to work and it's enough to feed the family and the other person stays home and takes care of the kids and they have a community of people around that they can count on. And like, these are not realities for very many people, <laughs> you know, like not even close anymore. And I think nope. the, the more people I coach from different backgrounds and different places and different, um, you know, like cultures, I guess is the only way to sum that category up too. But it's like, I'm super blessed to have a huge diversity of clients. And I love that because part of my anthropology brain is like, yeah, bring it on, bring me all these different ways of seeing stuff. But it's like, there are these common themes and those common themes that you see where it's just like, there's, there's something reasonably impossible about having one person working and having a decent division of labor and making sure that like all of this stuff functions and it's not it's not necessarily something you can solve as an individual anymore in our culture, because it's like, even if you do a perfect job of scheduling and you have a strategy and you have systems in place, like they still may not be enough to fill the gaps. And that's actually quite a challenging place to be in. Mm. So that's kind of, you know, that was sort of what came up this morning was that there's a lot of frustration at the split of labor and, and how yeah, people have to handle all of the different things going on. You know, even just right now with us trying to sell this house and move, the sheer tonnage of work it is to pick up your life. And it's it's not even real tasks. It's like cyber tasks. It's every credit card, every service you have, every recurring charge that hits your account, every everything. You have to physically go in and deal with it. And then you have password issues. And it's like, you actually don't take into consideration the crazy workload that it is to do these things. I think we all oh, yeah. gloss over this stuff. Never mind paying your bills and managing your finances. If you even get anywhere near either of those things, you know, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. And it's so people, time. I think this really shines light on like the this, this you know, what you said earlier about why can't you just like oh you can't just make time for like at least a half an hour of working out but like you're in this space this space that just feels like I can't take on one more thing and I can bear like the survival mentality kind of instead of instead of thriving it just feels like pure survival I just gotta get I just gotta get it done um how to work around that feeling of tremendous overwhelm like well I just can't do it today but not only how to work around it and maybe actually get that, you know, get the workout and get the self-care in, but also if you really can't, how to not beat yourself up from the shame yeah. or have, have the still, shame. How to still have enough structure in your day or, or that's not the right way to say it. Let me think. Maybe I need some coffee. This might be a coffee <laughs> afternoon because my brain is so full. I have found myself not even finishing sentences out loud today to people where like, <laughs> I've brain dumped. I've put all of my things on paper. I'm constantly adjusting my notes. I'm ticking off, you know, things on my checklist. And I still can't get enough out of my brain to complete a sentence sometimes. So sorry. But again, like I said, you know, I'm, I'm just a, normal person struggling with the same things as everybody else it's like I don't have any secrets 
<laughs> There's no magic solution. It's just dogged practice of trying to pick an action and achieve it for today. You know, it's like mm. with yesterday, everything just kept changing all day. Everybody gets these days where it's like, you wake up with a great plan. You think everything's going to be cool. And then like hour upon hour, people throw you curveballs. And I, I just got to the end of the day and was like, okay, I can give up <laughs> and just call it a day or I can go do 20 minutes of movement because even though I won't feel great when I'm done, I'll feel better than I feel right now, which mm. right now kind of blows. So I'm going to go move. And it was, it was that kind of moment where it's a crossroads, right? You always get these, these moments in the day of crossroads of picking, which, which is the greater priority. And it's funny because I would say in the beginning of quarantine, there was a lot of, you know, well, who cares? And what does it all matter? And a lot of those feelings going on because it was indefinite and we had no idea what was really happening. And I think there's a lot of inertia. And then now that we've been in it a long time, you can't sustain that level of not doing anything. You've got to do something, but now you've set yourself back a certain distance to, you know, maybe not where you would like to be, but catching back up feels really big. And so yeah. it's like, okay, well, it's the, how do you eat an elephant problem? Like, the <laughs> elephant's not going to go anywhere, especially if I don't start eating it. So I might as well start eating it. Like what's the best place to take the first bite? Because I felt that's totally what happened for me yesterday. And I think this brings it around to a lot of how, what I'm hearing from the rest of my clients, how they're feeling at the moment is really like they're everybody's just got an elephant in the room of various. You know, there's the, the political elephant. There's the socioeconomic elephant. There's the race equality elephant. There's the job security elephant. There's the food scarcity elephant. I mean, like that's a whole pack. It's like a freaking circus of elephants. It's a lot of eating, you know, but it's like, they're not going anywhere if we don't start chewing them up. So yeah, it's about finding that step. So that's, that's the only thing I would say is I've, I said this to my client, Stephanie, this morning, I was like, yeah, I've had a crash course in applying things that I work on with you guys in the last two weeks. I have literally had to confront all of the things and apply all of the systems and strategizing I can. And I'm still not what I would be calling successful for myself, but I'm doing what I can do. Yeah. And, and I have to try to put aside the perfectionism and be content with this is what I can do. Yeah. And it's so easy for someone on the outside, probably, and someone who knows you and cares about you to be all like, I can clearly see you're doing the best, you know, with what you have at this time. Um, but then when you're in it and you're that person, I don't know about you, but well, I do know about you, but like, you know, it's like inside at the time it's like no I could always be doing more I'm just being a pussy sorry I shouldn't say it so that's I'm sure very offensive pussies are very strong actually I'm being a ball sack <laughs> stop being a ball sack get tapped and I'm like ow I can't I can't do anything now right I can't breathe <laughs> oh <laughs> my balls see you went you went from you know whatever kind of sexism that was to just man shaming. You can't win. Stop trying to win. Okay. I think all the men would agree that their balls are very like when you get kicked in the balls or even flicked and 
pretty sure most of them are down from the cow for the cow as far as what i've been told no, so i'm not shaming them i'm i'm just saying teasing. it's okay i'm saying it's okay to be vulnerable and to know your vulnerable bits well anyways, pussies are strong if you get kicked in the pussy <laughs> it's not it's really not going to take a woman down you're, thinking you're thinking about, about I'm like, I've been hit. I know, like, how many times have I, been I know hit? you've been hit from <laughs> martial arts. I'm like, I didn't go down. No, I don't think I did. I mean, it still hurt. <laughs> it was like, it was more angering than painful. Yeah, yeah. So, wow, that's a tangent. Let's bring it on back to center. So, um, yeah, anyway, so life's just kind of a hot mess right now for everybody. And, you know, we all just have to try to strategize the best we can, which is going to bring me around to what you've been working on in the last week, right? Which is undistracted eating. Mm -hmm. How's it going? Pretty well. Um, so I've been trying to systematically um, chip away. Like I, I've, I've started, you know, I've, I made a list like months ago. I've like, put this is where I want to be and you know with different categories in regards to eating habits and exercise habits and meditation and I'm like this is where I want this is where I want to be okay so let's break this down and we'll do it little by little inching closer inchworm closer to like everything right Mm -hmm. So, you know, like two months later after just being in level one and they were like, I think I put like six levels, two months later, I'm still not achieving level one. And I'm like, so why, why is that? Why, why just why? Like you really can't even achieve level one. Oh, and then, stop. Stop. Oh, oh, well, I was going to continue with some new insight okay okay real like I don't know because this is still so new so when it comes to my new habit of I felt like it was a very like kind of a loose habit why don't you try eating undistracted dinners at the table and just have dinner at the table and then you could go watch tv you know but just eating undistracted at the table so I've been doing that pretty consistently and I've been like thinking, well, I need to really like put this in my little habit journal and add this. And I've I've actually been you know, doing mathematical calculations for percent for percentages to see if I'm inching closer with these numbers. And it's very much been like I'm I'm trying to reach adherence of 80% um, before I move into level two. And I've pretty much like the best I did ever was like 60 something percent. Okay. And the you still have first, to stop. Oh God. Okay. Ah, we'll be ready. Oh, no, fine. No, but I can't let you keep beating yourself up. That's why I'm stopping. Well, you. I wanted to, I wanted to come to the conclusion that real fast that, so I, I never added in my new habit of like, just, you know, eat at the table. I never added that into my little journal to track it. And I feel like it's going really well. <laughs> so, ah, yeah. so it was your epiphany at the end that maybe holding yourself yourself to these arbitrary level standards that you can then use to beat yourself up with when you fail to achieve them is not actually the best way forward because that may be why I was trying to stop you I'm not I, I kind of knew I wanted to give you every bit of information <laughs> so like when you go to a doctor 
And you know, like, doctor, I'm having like itching and burning. And they're like, oh, okay. And then I'm like, wait, no, I'm having five other symptoms. I'm so committed to helping you get out of this rut of I set myself an impossible standard. <laughs> and then it's I not impossible. Self-flaturate. I'm like, intellectually, I'm like, that, but it's not impossible. It's exactly what I took away from my PM training, which was like, just do 1% better and then track, you know, like track your results. So I'm like, got to track. But what I'm finding is, and it's so frustrating. And even though intellectually, I'm like, this seems to be the findings. I'm kind of like, no, what I'm finding <laughs> is like yeah. that I feel like I use my tracking as like an excuse never to really do much better because as long as I'm tracking, I know where I'm at and I know what I'm doing wrong. And therefore that's safe. Mm-hmm. That makes a whole lot of sense. Oh, yeah, I'm so scared. I'm so scared because if I don't track, then what the fuck? I'm never going to know where I came from. <laughs> I mean, I think this, this harkens back to the calorie conversation that we have regularly about, you know, like calories feel like control. This tracking feels like control for you. And just because you're controlling it, you sort of also feel like it must inherently be improving because you're controlling it. But what you've just said, which I think is fantastic and I'm really excited about it, is that like actually maybe tracking is kind of an enabler for you to not do the thing. Yeah, like super duper hardcore. But I know that's not the case for everyone. But for me, it's seen. And I definitely want to say that, you know, like if anyone's hearing my story, you know, and I I bring, you know, there's a light bulb that pops up. That's great. Explore it. But I know this is not the case for everyone. But I really, but I'm really frustrated because then I'm like immediate fear. Like, well, how do I know I'm not going to just, Go off the rails. If you're not Go controlling off the rails. it. What if I just am like, I, I just feel like, well, how am I? Okay. I got to laugh for a second. So I'm like, well, how am I ever going to improve if I'm not tracking my progress? But then I'm like, but literally tracking my progress for a significantly long time now has not really led me anywhere tremendous. I mean, I know things have improved. I've, I've definitely improved proved in areas but it has led me to where I really 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 want to be and this right here what you're describing is the value of building your own owner's manual and not trying to force other systems upon yourself because this is what happens right yes tracking is a critical part of any science experiment right but who says that you have to run this experiment exactly that way like who says that these are the things that you should be tracking you know, maybe there's something else you're tracking or sorry, that you shouldn't be tracking that you're not currently tracking. Like, so if tracking tangible finite metrics, like how many times you worked out or how many times you ate undistracted or how much you weigh or how many calories you eat or any, any tangible physical paper metric isn't helping propel you past where you're currently at, tangible metrics you can track. What are some more subjective things that you could be plotting over time well 
when it comes to this particular habit of eating undistracted, basically just having like a good old fashioned meal, not in front of the TV. So like pre 1960, wait, pre, yeah, yeah. Like just eating at a table and sitting there and eating your food <laughs> uh, without my phone. The only thing that's on is maybe some music or ambiance sound. Um, I mean, I definitely feel more satisfied. I definitely feel like eating is more of an event, which makes me feel more satisfied and it breaks up my day and it feels better. So I guess, uh, what's the thing I wanted to track? You said it's subjective. Um, Sounds like a bunch of Satisfaction. Satisfaction. Which is a feeling, right? So it's a feeling. How could you track, like rather than tracking, and this is specifically because every time you try to track a tangible metric, it actually just allows you to come up with reasons not to do stuff, right? Or to sabotage. So like, I'm not saying that tracking tangible metrics is a bad thing, but for right now, for you, it might be taking you backwards. It's definitely not taking me forwards, which I've literally proven with fucking numbers. <sighs> yeah. And you know, it's funny. I, I would say that I see this kind of thing um, most often in people who have either been in fitness a really long time and who've been really rigid in the past with what they hold themselves to as standards and, you know, what's good, what's bad, foods that are good, foods that are bad. When you see a lot of really polarizing values placed on these, these external metrics or, you know, or your specific body weight or your specific body fat percentage, it's actually important to like unwire that connection in your brain. And part of doing that means getting a bit more flexible with traditional methods of improving yourself or improving a situation, right? Which means, okay, tracking tangible metrics. Mm -hmm. I've done that forever. It worked for a while. It's not working now. It can be really powerful to just track how you're feeling about things because, you know, although we don't want our feelings to guide all of our decisions and just wander around making (laughs) intensely emotional decisions all the time. Like the reality is if we're not aware of what emotions we're actually feeling most of the time, Mm -hmm. they hijack our ability to make rational decisions. And so I'm pretty good at knowing what I'm feeling. And uh, I actually, I actually am. I'm one of those people who's like very, this is what therapist told me that I was very self-aware but mm-hmm. I think too much, like very critical. Like, why do I feel this way? What do I need to do about this feeling instead of just yes. having it? Yes. And so the way to sort of maybe set something up in this um, direction would be to set something more flexible up of like, you know, decide more if you like, if you were to pick, I don't know, I'm just spitballing. So we can keep all, all of this we want. We can throw out whatever we want, but like pick five emojis for how you think you feel most of the time. And then you're just gonna assign sort of like, maybe you do it every three hours and you like assign an emoji to how you've been feeling over the last three hours and then assign another emoji and just do it for a couple of days and see what you get. What if I wanted, hear me out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This might be my black and white thinking. What if I wanted to go cold turkey? And- um, not track anything well I think like 
It seems like the thing, if I were to put my finger on what is making this quote unquote successful, it's like, it's the, the, like, I don't have to like write it down. I don't have to check in about it and check it off. I just do it. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not against that. I, I mean, you're, you're saying it like you expect me to be like, no, How you must crack. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like the, the lack of the act of having to check it off or write it down is the thing that feels so good. So like a break okay. from accountability. Sorry. A break from accountability. Oh my God. I don't even know what that feels like. I don't even know. I think it's interesting that that's what you're craving, isn't it? Like, do you think that's a a product of holding yourself to a standard you are regularly not achieving for yourself that you just don't want to do that anymore? Or do you think it's something Mm. else? Say that again. I, I was like wanting a break from accountability. <laughs> like, okay, let's be honest. Any any adult would love a break from being accountable to things, but I'm asking it in this sort of within the framework of for yourself, like for the kind of standards you've held yourself to. Does giving yourself a break from that feel like what it is you're craving? Like yeah. literally just going easy on yourself. Oh my God. So some things are clicking for me. I've been having lots of dreams about being like a kid or being a teenager. And today I was even thinking like, almost like craving, like I wish I was a kid so I didn't have to be in charge of all this and have to like, yes, be accountable. Um, And I do hold, but it's not like, it's like, I pride myself with being very responsible and, you know, and kind of like holding the weight of the world on your shoulders. Cause I'm like, well, if I don't do it, who will? (laughs) And I think this idea of just like being, you know, la dolce far niente right mm-hmm. like really just existing instead of being like what does this mean we well, should write that down what does this mean if you don't collect data throughout the entire like of your the entirety of your life how are you ever going to analyze it and get where you want to go and change course mm-hmm. as if I were some sort of robot that always needed to be collecting data in order to like change my programming like I couldn't just do it like, what if your current programming was fine, just how it is? What if it didn't need an update? I don't, does not compute, Chris. <laughs> it does not compute. Yeah. I don't feel fine. Like any, probably everyone at this time, especially, I don't feel fucking fine. But, but, but is does, what is not, is not being fine something that has to be fixed? guess not I mean 
I mean, I guess not. It's just weird how this came about. <laughs> I was super reluctant. I mean, <laughs> this is just weird how this came about. Like I kept on meaning to be like, well, I'm going to add in my journal and I'm going to track this new metric. And then I remember picking it up this weekend. I was like, okay, time to like write it all out. And I'm going to like, re- you know, reconfigure everything. And I just like looked at my journal and I was like, fuck this. I'm going to do this later. Like, I just. Like, it was so exciting to be like, I'm not going to deal with this right now. I'm not going to deal with this, with tracking something more. Yeah. And I think the question you have to really ask yourself is just to check is like, is this because you've consistently been trying to track things and you're not seeing the progress that you want? Therefore, you want to bend the tracking because it's making you have more stress over the actual process. Or and it's not getting like, me anywhere. Right. Or do you really feel like you just don't need to track things to take good actions and maintain them? Uh, Former, the former one. It feels like, yeah, like it's not really getting me anywhere and it's, it's, it's in a very weird way. Like, it's just a very weird way of, um, like as long as I track and I collect the data, I don't actually have to do anything with that or change anything as long as I know what I'm doing so that when I really want to change things, I have the data. Isn't that interesting? Because that's something to actually take a really good look at is maybe right now you don't really want to change things. And that's okay. Like there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. We all live in this like permanent improvement environment I feel like where you yeah. you have to be striving and achieving and doing and changing and all of this stuff to be a valid human being and I think that that actually can be its own danger what if just being yeah. is enough what if you don't have to be any better what, than you are what now? is this Europe what is this <laughs> Europe where you could just be and sit there and enjoy your coffee without checking your emails and making sure you know you're tracking your coffee calories what is this it's America, oh, right? Everything I, is optimized. <laughs> there's there's a large cultural element to this for sure. Oh yeah. Right? There's a large personal element to this as well. Of you're you know driving all the time, you're a loser. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it feels. What do you, you achieve today, Liz? What have you oh even achieved today? Oh my god! Did you get a raise? If you didn't get a raise, are you like? Did you get like a title like raise? Did you get, you know, like did you lose weight? Did you like do this? Did you do that? It really feels like this overwhelming pressure to always. I mean, I find this is this is again like this balancing act we always talk about. I find I am very happy when I'm in when I am in motion and activity for the most part when I'm when I know I'm progressing at something I find great meaning and happiness like a lot of people they look for a project they look for something greater than themselves that they're doing something that takes them out of themselves so there's something to be said for that at the same time what would it be like to just to not have to question every single thing well let me optimize this experience and this and that and just be 
Content. Oh my God. I think this sounds like a really interesting challenge for you to attempt because it's so opposite of how you've, you attempted all of these things in the past, right? And in that alone, there's a huge amount of value of just trying something you haven't tried before. My God. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, it's just like a perspective shift. I was thinking I went, um, I went on this hike this weekend. I woke up before sunrise and it was, everything was frosted over and it was cold. It was so freaking cold. My face hurt. Um, but I, on this hike, like, I remember having this feeling like, well, what if you were just, what if instead of hiking to lose weight, or again, so you don't have to feel guilty tomorrow, what if you were just hiking because you like to hike and it makes you feel good and it's just like a thing you do because it feels good, it feels right, instead of it being your, like, well, you better get on it so that you're not, so you're, you know, you're not getting super inactive or I don't know it's just it's subtle it is subtle I think that's a really good way to put it but it's it's also significant just because it's subtle doesn't mean it's insignificant you know it's the it's this idea of like the why behind what you're doing like if you're fundamentally pushing your body to exercise because of some shame or guilt surrounding your body or what you believe is the correct thing to do with your time you're not going to hike because nature is beautiful and because you really enjoy moving and you enjoy having the luxury of an able body and all of these other possible positives that come from that activity, you're focused on the punitive nature of it. And I think, you know, over the, I don't know, I guess last year or so talking about this, like, I think a lot of your motivations for these changes have been punitive. Mm towards yourself. And I, I think I'm really excited to see what this idea of, you know, Hey, I want to do these things because they're good for me because I enjoy them. That's why they're good for me. Not because I have to exercise and I have to eat a certain way and I have to track all of these things so that I'm improving myself. It's more like I have to go for a hike because it makes me happy. Yeah. I have to go for a hike because my body feels better when I do. Yeah. And kind of like, I know, I think during our last recording, we talked about um, what would, what would my future self say? Would my future self be happy or unhappy? Like, I think it can, with my black and white, my tendency to black and white think things through, uh, it's hard. Then all of a sudden I just go to, you should just do things for pleasure. So if you don't want to do them, just don't do them. But then balancing it with this, what would my future self say, you know? Um, and this one thing that really stuck with me, I've mentioned it to my fiance, he literally, he's like, Oh, that thing Chris said. And I was like, Oh, wow. It was that thing of you could you can have all your feelings. You can feel all your feelings. You could have all the feelings and still choose to go do the next right thing or still choose to go do the thing that you know is right for you. So like, 
like when I was thinking about going out for that hike, I was excited because I was like, yay, nature and avoiding people. That's why I'm up so early. But then it was also like, are you fucking kidding me? It's so cold outside. You don't even have like a proper winter jacket. Are you serious with this? You know, you could slip and fall and die because there's frost everywhere and there's a little bit of bouldering involved. And um, I had all those feelings and I still was like, you know, I'm pretty sure my future self is going to be like, that was awesome. And right. even now today, it's holding me through to today when I'm just like, I couldn't get out for my, another hike today. And I was like, but it felt really good to do that hike. And it draws me to want to do more. Right. It's that building on that positive momentum, right? It's sometimes they call it self-efficacy, the belief and the mm-hmm. feeling that you are in control and that you can accomplish these things. And, you know, things like your brain popped up all of these resistance points of like, it's icy. I might slip. I could die. There's bouldering. But then when you accomplish those things, when you overcome those obstacles that you sort of set out for yourself, you feel a sense of pride. And so now in your toolbox for next time you ask future you how she's going to feel, you could be like, I'll be proud of myself and I'll be happy I did it. And you can add to that box rather than functioning off of the like, well, what will future say if you don't go? Future me will be mad and feel terrible and bad and blah. Like there's, do you see the difference? Mm, the glasses have <laughs> empty versus the glasses have full. I mean, yeah, to boil it down to a, a common <laughs> latitude. Yes, right? But it's a matter of like, if I want future me to be happy, future me is going to feel these things because I did it. Not future yeah. things to feel future me is going to feel these things if I don't do it. And just flipping the script subtly on Mm -hmm. something like that can really change your outlook. It can go from like, oh, it's cold and I need a winter jacket and I don't have one to like, ooh, I get to go shopping for a better winter jacket so I can keep going on my hikes. Yeah, I was excited. I was thinking about those uh, REI, those things I've seen at REI and I'm sure many other places that are, you know, a little cheaper but REI I think treats its employees really well I I mm-hmm. like them you get quality quality stuff uh you know those things that you put on your face when it's when it's really cold like it's mm-hmm. the neck warmer face warmer thing that now everyone has because of COVID anyway and I was like man I want to go get me one of those yeah Fancy. and now again you have the positive motivation and I think for you yeah. this is the most important tool and this brings me back around to why I was saying maybe you need to track your feelings throughout the day not your feelings of achievement but just generally like are you generally feeling like you're down on yourself all day or are you generally feeling like you're excited about the next thing to come in your day because mm. you can achieve it and you know you you're you're going to be happy about having done it Mm. very huge huge mindset shift in a teeny tiny package yeah (laughs) (laughs) in a teeny tiny package but it is actually really critical to getting yourself out of the negative reinforcement of behavior yeah and it's so easy because that's like what our medical industry like with the western medicine is all based off of well you don't want to get heart disease and die do you (laughs) it's like well no but that doesn't that just makes me feel like well i'm just gonna die anyway so what the fucking enjoy my living while i can apparently that's what i feel rebellious and then i just feel angry and i'm just like you know hearing that a family member has covid yeah i feel like 
pretty upset, you know, pretty upset and worried for them. But at the same time, it just makes me feel like giving up. Like, why don't, why am I trying so hard? It's going to come get me. (laughs) Okay. What's the flip of that? Like flip that to the new script we were just talking about. Like, how do you turn that into a positive motivator instead of a negative one? Oh, that's hard. How do you turn COVID? How do you turn your fear of COVID into a positive? Not necessarily your fear of COVID, but your statement uh-huh. was along the lines of like, wow, my my family member has COVID. What's the actual point? Because we're all just going to die anyway, right? Yeah, That's like it's going to come get us. Like we've worked so hard. Like the, 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 the thoughts in my head are like, we've worked so hard, you know, stayed indoors, act, you know, being like... I don't want to say paranoid because you really need to be at a high level of caution, but it just feels like, what if that's all for naught? Well, what if it is? I mean, and I think, you know, because everything, you could say that about everything, like I'm in a relationship and what if we break up and it's just all for nothing. Yes. And when you take it to the extreme and you go towards the nihilistic approach, like things feel and seem very futile, but the reality is you can flip the script and say something along the lines of like, I don't know how much time I get. Gosh, something like COVID could come and get me. I better make the best of the time I have. Better do everything I can while I can. What can I do now? And that's yeah. sort of the, you see what yeah. you see that? And it's it's a subtle shift. And you probably come to it through the nihilistic thoughts anyway. So you don't want to say like never have a ne- never have a negative thought or never, you know, go to the extreme, but it's what do you do with that then? Do you let it just make you sit still and, and give up? Or do you decide like, well, it is all going to end anyway at some point. Like nobody gets out of that. But I got this time now. What am I going to do with it? How am I going to make yeah. sure this time I've got is well used? And by actually enjoying it. Yeah. <laughs> so again, I come back to yeah. you. I know you, you have not bought on this particular line I have cast out to you. <laughs> come on bite this one though, because I really think that even if you are self-aware, you can track things in a different way that will help you be more aware of how often you're, you're following this sort of negative pattern. Because if you were to literally track hour by hour, what your overarching feeling was, would it be happiness? Would it be contentment? Would it be angst, anxiety, depression, anger, frustration, love, what would it be? Five emojis or less, right? Like keep it simple enough. And then if you find you can't constrain yourself to five emojis, then, you know, that's already something you've learned is that you're actually having lots of feelings throughout the course of a day. And it gives you a frequency model because maybe you're actually only feeling some of the more negative emotions for an hour and the other seven hours a day, you're actually pretty happy. You're absorbed in work. That makes you sort of content in the moment you're, you know, having interactions with Andrew, who's home because we all work from home now. So you get to see your significant other more than you normally would. Maybe that's going to give you another positive boost you're not aware of. You enjoy your food. You know, I mean, there's lots of opportunities here to take a harder look at generally, how do you get to the end of your day emotions mm-hmm. wise? And you don't, again, you absolutely don't have to track anything. I'm, I'm simply trying to say that it's worth always reassessing. It doesn't have to be tangible. 
doesn't have to be an objective, tangible metric. Uh, Like, you know, I don't know quite what's wrong. I want to do these things, but then I don't actually make them happen. Well, if you spent four hours this morning feeling bad, how likely are you to get up off the couch and go do something great in the afternoon? Probably less likely. If you (laughs) spent the entire morning doing something really enjoyable and fulfilling, you know, and then you spend the rest of your afternoon on the couch, are you likely to feel good sitting on the couch or bad sitting on the couch? Probably you're you're likely to feel better. So it's it's balanced. Right. There's the macro and the micro of the balance, right? There's the on the whole, how are you balancing things day over day, week over week, month after month? And then there's the like, you know, minute to minute. What's motivating me? Fear and anxiety. Okay. So being a very self-aware person, you may be able to already pinpoint this without actually going through the physical exercise of tracking. But just the mental yeah. exercise of being <laughs> like, like, hey, let's I'm assess I'm pretty them. aware of my motivators. Fear and anxiety. Woo! So pleasurable for a great life. Hey guys, nice to see you. All right, maybe maybe you need to bring some other people up to the table for a little while. Maybe. Like um perhaps um what's that thing? Self-worth. Mm. Well, it's so hard. regardless of your outside your your outside influences regardless of your job title whether or not you have a job how much money you make usually it's about money i swear it's money and title when it comes to america yeah um could be like the world's worst person just like an absolute monster and they're all like wow you're like a ceo of a fortune 500 company you're doing amazing in life you should run the country you should run the country because that makes sense (laughs) sorry (laughs) That's an inappropriate political view. That's so inappropriate, Chris. That's so inappropriate. I'm so offended right now. But I mean, I think it's it's really important to test and assess these frameworks, you know, and you're doing all of that work. And these things can also, in a tangible objective chart of metrics, can lead you to feel like you're actually not doing anything. When maybe you're, you know, it's like ever, ever see a picture of a swan? Yes. Like, and if you look at the swan on top, they're like, oh, they're so calm and beautiful and poised oh, yeah. and perfect. And underneath <laughs> their feet are like, Wah! right? Like maybe that's what's going on in your head, but you look like the swan on the outside. And it's just a matter of time before you realize the swan is moving. You know, that swan's moving. It just doesn't yeah, doesn't flail around like a dumb chicken. Nobody's <laughs> <laughs> accusing chickens of being graceful. Yeah, well, at least chickens aren't fucking mean like swans. That's what know. that's what I'm taking away from this whole thing. It's like the more pretty you are, like the more of a dick you are. I'm not sure just that's kidding. what I was trying to say. I know, but isn't that great <laughs> how I could just flip it? <laughs> the swans are like swans are like the fucking Instagram influencers of the birds, right? Because they're all like, aren't they so perfect? And then underneath they're like paddle, 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 paddle. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, I think that's definitely the case. I think that's part of what's so hard when you are trying to implement changes for yourself is when you're being shown these examples of people who seem so perfect. They seem perfect, but you know. They seem so perfect, like living their life to the fullest every day. 
I think this is one of my favorite parts of my job. And I, I feel really lucky because even the job I had before this, I had kind of front row seats to a lot of the different workings of society, you know, because I was, I was, when I was teaching abroad um, and I, you know, I taught in multiple countries, I got to go to all these cool companies and meet all these different people that I would never have known existed and never come into contact with and learned about products and systems and structures of how we all have what we have and make what we make and, and live how we live that I would never have had a clue about if I didn't do that job. And I feel like that's the same sort of insight I get doing this job because I end up coaching people from all different backgrounds and places and cultures and economic, economic statuses. And it's awesome. And so it's like, we all have so many of these same things in common. It, our differences really are smaller than our similarities on the whole. You know, like we, we have way more yeah. than, yeah. than because we think. Everyone really, really, I know this sounds very black and white thinking, but a lot of us have very, very much the same motivators and desires, which is comfort, safety, safety for our loved ones, good, good place to live. Mm. good place to exist what's the maslow's hierarchy of needs? this is maslow yeah. uh-huh. hierarchy, the yes. hierarchy of needs and you know the one thing i feel like he leaves off of there is, is um fairness and it's not necessarily a need but it's a massive social driver like human beings and actually they've done really cool studies with um chimpanzees and some other primates regarding fairness and it is a big deal it is a big deal to beings the idea that something is equal or fair you know like if the the one I think I remember the most was the one it was um they had obviously chimps in cages which is terrible but they were they were two separate cages right and they had one chimp in one and another in the other and they had these little windows and they would ring a bell the chimps would come up and they would put a grape down right or a couple of grapes or whatever and they would vary it up and what they found was if they started giving a noticeable fewer number of grapes to one chimpanzee, he became really agitated and not like agitated at the person. He was agitated at the other chimpanzee for getting the one more. that didn't, the one that got fewer became agitated. Yeah. Towards the one who was getting more like he was running a tally in his head of whether or not the person giving grapes out was giving out the same number to him or the other chimpanzee. And that's why we had the great chimpanzee revolution of 1701. And this is where the planet of the apes comes in. I mean, no, but I mean, what I'm trying to say is that even in other species of the animal kingdom, fairness is a big ass deal. So it sounds like some socialist rhetoric Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm very like pro Scandinavianish socialism. Like uh-huh. I'm very pro, I'm very pro. It seems to work out pretty well for, I mean, I would rather, I would rather there be this some level of like fairness than, I mean, God, is it going to have to come to a revolution? Like, like well, they did not. there in, in France, where it's like we, um, you know, no one liked seeing like people up on top just being like, my life is so great. I don't see what your problem is because they couldn't, they couldn't even, they had no ability for 
empathy because they had they had no they had no way to understand what the lower classes were feeling and what the the absolute horrors they were going through and this constant survival mentality that we're all so fucking sick of. Right, but that's a fairness problem, right? A fairness yeah. problem in the hierarchy of needs. And I think this is what it comes down to. It's like you need uh, safety, shelter, food. Uh, uh, gosh, I can't remember the mouth of my head. My brain is so full right now. <laughs> of things that I can't remember things. I, it's like, I'm, I'm cleaning out my closet and just all I my think crap. You left, out right now. you left out oh, Netflix. As a hierarchy of needs thing. But it, it, when these things in a society are distributed unfairly, you do see problems. I mean, this is very easy to back up with history from any civilization. Pick a continent, pick a time period, pick a culture, pick, pick I, a group of people. I just had like She's a crap over and over. I just had a slight epiphany, like, I'm thinking of, um, you know, body shaming. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about this, you know, I, as a bigger person, have actually gotten enraged by um, by seeing, like, not every time I see, like, a thin person, like, but so I will feel, like, sometimes I'll just really feel rage at them. Um, if they're really like flaunting it, like, you know, I lived in LA, so and I'd see people like just really, I feel bad saying this because it really does sound shaming, but just really flaunting their outward physical, you know, appearance. appearance and, and I would only feel angry at them if they were conventionally attractive by LA standards mm. um I would be all like fuck you I would feel a though? lot of anger was it a sense of not fair it, it felt like it was unfair it yeah. really felt feels like because you know you start to I start to tell myself things in my head like already we know that um that um obesity does seem to affect people who are a lower income level um so there's that there's the wealth inequality that affects us health wise. Um, and then we get punished, you know, through with society's like normative beauty standards. And then it feels also kind of like this idea that someone could be naturally thin and then go fuck yourself. You have no idea what it's like for people who aren't privileged in that way. Like, and, you know, and I would feel the same thing with, um, with people who, who have extreme, like, you know, they're, they're very overt in their display of wealth, like go fuck mm. yourself. You didn't earn that. You, I know, you know, like the, and yeah. all these, all these ideas, like that was handed down to you, you know, that's because daddy got you a good job or you had these, you had all these opportunities that a lot of people don't have. So you were able to get into good school, you know, and, um, I mean, yeah, so that level of that, that idea of fairness. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah. pervasive. You can boil down a lot of conflict into a fairness problem. And I, and I think this is one of the like sort of currently unseen, really powerful drivers of society and behavior is fairness. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so much resentment and shame and all these other really negative emotions can come from feeling like you're stuck in a position of inequality. Because yeah. the other way to talk about fairness is equality. So yeah. 
and, and it's like, obviously, we don't have to spend a lot of time talking about it here because there are multitudinous platforms you can go listen to with amazing, amazing content um, mm-hmm. regarding equality, not just in America, but in other places as well. Yeah. I mean, primarily what's going on here right now is is pretty appalling still. It's like, oh. it's... Ugh. I can't go down that rabbit hole right now because I want to stay focused <laughs> on nutrition, but it's there like- There are so many things to talk about. Of There's course there so are. many things. And they all oh. have a bit of an impact on your your personal feelings throughout the day and, and what you perceive as the best next action um, for you. And, you know, it's like, it's a total dumpster fire. It really is. It's a total dumpster fire. <gasps> I just love that as a name for this episode. Total dumpster dumpster fire. Of, you know, trying to sort through these things. And it's like, okay, well, I mean, the garbage is already on fire. So, you know, (laughs) it doesn't help to get mad at the garbage. And it definitely doesn't help to scream at the garbage. It's more speaking about my week this week. I've definitely had a personal dumpster fire week. So, like, it's none of those things are going to change it. So I can have those feelings. And I can still decide to attempt to put the fire out. You or know, you like, let it burn. Or I could let it burn. I mean, there's multi, multi-level multi options available to me with what to do with my person. I could just close the lid and walk away, you know? I mean, it's Ooh, trash. Yeah. Shouldn't it burn? <laughs> Probably. But I think, I think the point is, is that there's more than one way to put out a dumpster fire. <laughs> right. I've heard sand is effective. Maybe got some sand on hand. Awesome. Maybe it's unfair and somebody has more sand than you. I don't know. Oh. But it's oh, it's and like, and just like going back to like this. Like, remember when you know the? I mean, every year California burns pretty hardcore. Yeah. Remember that time when all the celebrities and super rich people's houses were threatened, and so they hired private firemen to put out their house fire where everyone else who was poor or just not crazy wealthy burned to the ground yeah there's some real fairness problems there Mm, that's um and it wasn't even it's not even like their house where it's like I live in this with my family it's like that's my My vacation spot that's my third house and (laughs) you wonder why all the rage you just wonder well and I think I think this comes back, if we can bring it back to nutrition, it's this idea of fairness of like, why can that naturally skinny person live on chips and whatever they want? And I, yeah. I can't, and I face all well, of We don't really know. That's well, you don't. Like, we don't know their story, which is exactly. so problematic. It is really, a lot of these things are super problematic. And it's interesting, there are some, you know, discussions coming up about this and the, the body shaming or the, the fat shaming that goes on. And really like... It, it isn't black or white. It isn't. We're going to try to make it black or white because we've made it so white for so long of like, you must be thin and, you know, never eat and do all of these things to be a beautiful, attractive female. That's been the beauty standard forever that you're seeing a real swing of the pendulum over to like, fuck you, I'm fat and proud. And well, you can't more tell me I'm unhappy about it. And I, and that's I mean, absolutely natural you say you say it's been like it's been like a beauty standard for a while but I'm like I'm really thinking now back to the renaissance era and I'm really it wasn't that like the, the was, Rubenesque yeah. era and like when it wasn't considered you know when it wasn't considered like the height of attractiveness to be no super you were skinny. poor if you were thin it was because you were poor back then and so you have yeah. to look at the socioeconomic flip that's gone on here 
Yeah, it's a one douchebag. This is what I learned. I don't know if this is true. I haven't. I, I tried to look into it. I couldn't find enough information. There's this one douchebag, freaking. What's her name? She was like some awful celebrity who I think was married to royalty. And she, it may have been the wife. It may have been the wife of who is the okay, who was the so Queen Elizabeth, <laughs> Queen Elizabeth's Oof. current Queen Elizabeth's father's brother who abdicated. I'm, oh, oh, I almost know this. I was going to tell you, like, you got <laughs> no chance of me helping you here. But I actually, <laughs> oh God, I watched that. Um, God, it must have been the Crown. I watched the Crown. Yeah, yeah. And he was married to like American. That he was married yeah, an to. American. And who was, was like, like shamed out of England for being American. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he loved right? that. He was, he was like. She, I think, okay, forgive me if like you, like if anyone like loves this person um, and I'm misquoting, but I, I do think it was her, maybe not. It was something like that where the person said you can never be too rich or too thin and from what I learned, uh, haven't looked into it enough, could not find enough data to back this up. But that's kind of where things shifted to being thin was now the the thing. You can never be too thin or too rich. Like thin was the ideal and it, it equaled aristocracy. Um, but before that, it wasn't the case. No, so if I fucking find that bitch, I will slap the fuck off out of her. Well, but it was resource <laughs> scarcity, right? So if you look at it mm-hmm. from before that point in time, the the reason that was able to shift was up until that point. If you weren't nobility or you weren't rich, you didn't have food security. Yeah. You didn't have it, right? And then you yeah. went from this crazy, like, literally, I barely you had enough- to work out in the field (laughs) right so your job was heavily physical and you had a minimum amount of calories available and then it was literally considered you know the paler your skin were the softer your hands were the more noble you were when it came to being a female right because you wouldn't want to have Mm -hmm. a callus on your hand it shows you had to do some dirty work (laughs) this goes right back to reading little women because i know uh, meg was so she was so vain about her soft white hands Mm -hmm. and then Lori, the, the man, got shamed because he had soft hands. He didn't put in honest work. Right. And it's very, very interesting. He's man. Oh. And so these things shift all over the place, right? So that's what we were talking about. And so you're watching a big pendulum swing away from that again, which is probably directionally correct. But again, extremes, we've just got to be wary of extremes. Mm-hmm. You know, there's extremes. certainly... Yeah, there certainly isn't anything good about being excessively thin. And there isn't anything good about being excessively overweight either. That doesn't mean you're a bad person on either end. You know, like, yeah. we've got to separate <laughs> these things. These things are not same. Uh, call, call me when that happens. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting watching some of the, the conversation around it at the moment and see to see where it goes. Because I think, you know, definitely both of us have, been caught up in a lot of the societal requirements of beauty and it's and I'm sure we're not alone I'm sure everybody who happens to be also female listening and even men you know men are sort of victim of it too because they're told what they have to think is attractive and then they actually are finding that men really aren't that attractive to the thing that's been the social norm of beauty 
I can only speak to my personal experience and also from what I've heard from other women uh, and also from what I've seen on the media. So, you know, there, what's this great, there's this great show from A.D. Bryant, who was on SNL. There's this great show that on Hulu. Still not going to be able to help you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I saw the olive branch. Don't know. I don't know. She plays a woman, you know. <laughs> She's fat. She plays a woman. Um, God forbid. Uh, and they touch on this thing about like, um, she has this man in her life who basically does not, does not really include her in his life because she, because the takeaway is like, she's fat and therefore he wants to have sex with her, but he doesn't want to claim her as his girlfriend oh. because she's fat. And I've seen this in my personal experience. I've seen this with other people, um, like in society, in, in our society, it's very much like men often are very attracted to quote unquote fat women. And, and yet they don't want people to know that and how incredibly painful it is to be that person who's like who's like on the end of the receiving end of that of like oh you don't deserve want, you don't yeah. deserve like you like it's so shameful that I could be interested in you at all that I need to literally lie about that yeah there's also like I yeah. said it's a dumpster fire this whole yeah. situation. Oh, and same thing if you're not virginal because women have been facing that forever it's like oh, oh I really really like quote unquote love this woman or into her but she's not a virgin so I you know she's my she's my backdoor mistress and then I'm gonna marry the good girl yeah. you know or it happens with race I mean fucking Madam Butterfly I'm gonna bring it back to opera Madam Butterfly where it's like well here's my Japanese wife but I'm gonna go get a real British white wife you know it's right it is, a, it is a, is a bona fide dumpster fire, really. Yeah. And it's all, all crap as human beings that we have completely made up. So yeah. it's, it's all bullshit that we made up. It's yeah. all the good news is that because we made it all up, we can totally change it. <laughs> right? That's it's funny. not like the laws of physics. <laughs> like we didn't make that shit up. That's just how it is. But like, know, we made right? all this stuff up. We totally get licensed to change it we just have to decide that like changing it isn't the end of society because we decided oh to do it differently where do so, people come up with their bullshit like yeah this is this we shouldn't change it like they're in their extremes like well if we change it this will happen oh wait i forgot i have the exact same thing if i stop counting calories i literally will like die it does feel that way it feels very powerful yeah when you're confronting yeah. deep-seated beliefs and when you have to confront the difference between your deep-seated beliefs and beliefs, 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 sorry. <laughs> <laughs> your deep-seated <laughs> beliefs and like the reality of what is actually happening because of your beliefs, like those are some uncomfortable moments. Those are uncomfortable moments, yeah. you know, so it's like. It feels better to complain about how everyone else is wrong. Totally. And I see, only I see the truth. Obviously. Only I see the truth. Yes. But everyone else is so blinded. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm 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 into my 30s now, so I'm no longer of that mentality of like, I'm just so forward thinking. And these people. These older generations are just so 
are just so misinformed and we're the future the times they are changing right <laughs> isn't that funny how that happens like your perspective I feel like every decade my perspective does like at least a 90 degree turn I'm like oh oh shit look what's over there yeah. like, <laughs> I think of things I thought were very true personal truths in my early 20s <laughs> regarding nutrition and exercise and all those sorts of things and I'm just like I don't ever want to go back there oh it's so awful and exhausting so I'm hoping next decade will be even better right and I mean that's the hard part is like when you've done that sort of extreme stuff and this to just bring it back to center because we've gone way <laughs> over on a tangent again but it's like to bring it back to center like you you because you went through that period of you know utter self conviction and certainty mm. about how things were going to be and how black and white things were. I mean, you know, you're right. I do think that there's a generational and I mean, not generational as in like difference between each generation that goes through, but like your personal development throughout your lifetime as, yeah. a, as an individual, we all go through these phases, right? Yeah. Right it's going to be just happen. like this when later on for everyone else like right. everyone right now like. right and then you know you get out of that particular phase where you're super convicted that your way is the perfect way and it's going to work forever that all of a sudden now you're left without a roadmap again and you're like oh god but that old roadmap I knew where that took me I just I'm so sick of that it's like kind of how I feel about walking around my neighborhood anymore you know I I live in an okay neighborhood. There's nothing wrong with it, but I've been walking the same streets for a year and I kind of want to poke my eye out thinking about doing yeah. it again. <gasps> Maybe you should do a blindfolded. Oh, oh and then get hit by a car because it's LA and I'm to go to the staying while driving room. and not get treated. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, let's not go on that tangent either right now because it's like uh, the whole thing is a dumpster fire right now. And I think it's like, you know, crack open a beer because that sucker's not going out anytime soon. You might as well be warm and, uh, you know, frantically running around trying to put it out right now may not be the best solution. I mean, warm yourself by that dumpster fire. I like it. It's heat. I mean... This is not to say take joy, become like all into schadenfreude and take joy in other people's <laughs> misery. That's kind no. of what it almost sounded like. But it's no. more just like, you know, try to take the little bit of good that you can from the bad. Ooh, Right. That's kind of weirdly idealistic, from nihilistic to idealistic. But that tends to be people's personal trajectory too. It's like, you know, I think generationally as well we go through periods of just like oh god well what is the point you know this is the quintessential midlife crisis is like well what the <laughs> hell have I been doing here like why have I spent all this time on this thing I thought was important but now I think it's stupid what yeah I need a Ferrari you know like this is <laughs> this is this is the kind of stuff that's canonized in culture so we should be aware of it and prepared for it and so it's like sometimes it is this constant thing of trying to escape the consequences are trying to tweak and tune and hack life so that everything is always awesome. And sometimes it's okay to just drink a brew by the dumpster fire and let that fucker burn for a minute because that's what you can do. You know, like there's no, there's, there's no comfort with that in our society anymore of like, sometimes things are shit. Our generation, especially us Gen Xers, we have never had to deal with anything that was super shit except for the extreme boredom of our youth. Like we've got to all get better at looking at the ugly bits. 
Look but at your no, ugly bit. Filter, Instagram filter, your <laughs> life. <laughs> okay. So, you know, we're uncomfortable, but you think back to the greatest generation, these people who lived through World War One, the Great Depression, World mm-hmm. War Two, rationing in England. You look at rationing barely ended when my husband was born in England in 1979. Rationing was still a thing. We have to, as, as at least as us Gen Xers, and I'm speaking specifically to our generation, like we can totally hack this. Our biggest challenge right now is staying bored. We know how to do that. We've been bored our whole goddamn lives. There's nothing really challenging here for us. This is old hat shit. It's the millennials who are having a hard time because they've never had to like entertain themselves for any period of time because they've always had a device. Cut that shit out if you want, but. (laughs) I mean, well, I said like I have my AirPods in like all day long listening to books on Audible like all day long. I'm like, well, I'm just sitting here doing the dishes. Gotta listen to my Audible book. (laughs) Yeah. No, sorry, but it's reading. Kind of, I love that in a really fucked up way. I do think, like, decades down the line, I'll look back and be like, fuck, hopefully, knock on wood, we haven't, we're not out of the woods yet. Like, oh, I I lived through the the great pandemic, yeah, and that was really scary. And it's, it's, um it's a defining moment for, for everyone. Like it's just this thought. Cause you, when it comes down to it, you really have that, what come to Jesus moment for yourself. You really have to, no one, like no one's going to come into your house and be like, this is how you're going to get through it. You really have to figure it out. (laughs) I really see a lot of people turning to a lot of do it yourself crafts, not only to counter boredom, but also hopefully to save money. And yeah. be less wasteful. So that's potentially good. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of really good things happening right now. And I think it's easy to lose them within yeah. the framework of, oh, poor me. You know, and I think I think that sort of, it's a balancing point too. Because, okay, yes, you get to feel sad and you get to be unhappy for your personal losses. And whether you're on the upper end of the affluence spectrum of the lower one we're all suffering personal loss right yeah but it's also like have enough empathy and awareness for what's going on on a bigger scale than within your personal bubble this is going to need some editing it's going to need um lots of editing sorry so we should probably call it no it's what's your action you've decided you're just not going to track anything for now and that's your activity for the week. Is well, it's like, break. it's like in my head, like I do the eating, of, like I'm really excited to have dinner tonight at the table, which I'm going to go make. And so it's like, I'm not tracking, I'm not writing it down and recording okay. it, but I'm very much aware this is what I want to be doing. Okay. So it's that's like enough. just the act of like being aware of what I want to be doing, but without actually having to be like, check, because... I'm very anal about my checklist and like, check, did I do it? Are you sure you did it? Are you sure? And I have to like go through it and be obsessive compulsive about it. Why is not tracking anything so terrifying? Because what if everything goes to hell? Okay. You have (laughs) precedent on this now though, because with the calorie counting, you stopped doing that and everything didn't go to hell, did it? No. Okay. So you already have a living example of this isn't going to do that. 
Yeah. It does. I can just start tracking something right away again. This is not an on or off switch you can't flip. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Oh, that's the uncomfortable spot. It's not tracking anything. Let's that's do it. it. Let's be uncomfortable. Ooh, a swell of panic. Swell of panic. <laughs> Absolute swell of panic. Like in my gut right now, I feel it. Like it feels like, feels like I kind of like I got hit in the stomach. Wow. Like how long, how long until we check in again? Like. <laughs> I don't know. You want it to be a couple days this time? I feel like it needs to be enough to where it's where it proves that it doesn't go to hell. (laughs) So a couple days doesn't really. About Friday afternoon. This Friday. We have to get through some of these emails anyway. So let's just yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Directly talk about it. We can reassess. Okay. You can light some more dumpsters on fire. Do whatever you want. Light that dumpster on fire. I'm sure that's some sort of song. It sounds like a song. That dumpster fire girl. I don't know why it was like Southern. Sorry. That was real country. I know you don't like that. It's, <laughs> it's just because like, I'm just a really hardcore Yankee. I can't help that. Uh. <laughs> Hey, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. And I hope that today's episode made you think a little bit about how you could apply some of what we're talking about to yourself and your behaviors and let us know if you find any of it meaningful. Make sure to tune in for the next episode where we will continue to have somewhat circular conversations that may be helpful. They will be. They will be helpful. (laughs) It's what you take away from them. Wow. The more you know... (laughs) 